start off by just saying good evening everybody and I want to thank everyone who prayed for me when I was sick last week. I feel way better now. Um, I think the voice is the last thing that comes completely back so we'll see how this goes but I feel quite quite better. Um, And I want to start off by saying something to Pastor Tim as well. I know during my Bible college speech I kind of called you out in a great way I hope and um, you know in our public speaking class that I mentioned you taught me something about pacing and pausing. Well, I have 12 minutes at the most, so there's not going to be a lot of pacing, there's not going to be a lot of pausing, it's going to be fast. So just bear with me on that one. If it doesn't seem too lovey-dovey, that's the way it is. It's go, go, go right now. So with that in mind, I'm just going to pray. Dear Lord, I just uh, thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that uh, you'd be with myself and Tadala and Andre today. I pray that you'd just have there be no missteps, but that you'd have us speak with, uh, with your power through us. And I just pray that you'd uh, just bless the evening, that we can just glorify you and hopefully impact someone today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So <clears throat> I want to ask everybody a question. And my question is, what is the word that you like the least? Can you think of your least favorite word? Just a word that you dislike. <clears throat> and if I had time... I would take a poll, I would take a survey, but I don't. So I'm just going to name some words that I'm thinking people might be having in their mind right now. Words like pain, death, sickness, suffering, and of course, sin. And, you know, those are all terrible words. But I want to uh, focus on one word that I think we're all from birth, that I think we're all kind of just naturally inclined to dislike. Think of when you're a baby and you want something, but your parents don't want you to have it. What's the worst word that you can hear from them? And think of if you're a teenager and you want to go sleep over at a friend's house. What's the worst word that you can hear from mom and dad? If you are a guy and you find a girl, you really like her, and you think, okay, I now have have the courage. I can go talk to her right now. I'm good. And you want to ask her to hang out. What's the one word that she can say that will just destroy your existence, destroy everything about your life? Of course, everybody knows it. Brother Ellie said it. It's no, right? (laughs) So I want to tell you guys something. All through your time on earth, hearing no's is just a fact of life. It's just something that we have to deal with. And you're probably going to hear a lot of them. But what will shape your life, along with living for God, is not how you, you know, how many no's you hear but how you react to the no's you hear, and even how you prepare for the no's that you'll hear. So my message tonight is titled, We Need to Obey God Instead of Being Scared by No's. Now, I think that as Christians, as soul winners, I think everybody would agree that we don't do enough for God. And I want everybody to turn in their Bibles as quickly as you can, time, to Mark 16.15, book of Mark 16.15. And I'm going to read it while you're turning there, but I want you to keep your place. I want to read it just for the sake of time, because everybody knows this verse. So Mark 16.15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. So that's our command. That's Jesus when he was about to go back up into heaven. He's talking to his followers, which includes us. Now, 
I have a theory that I just came up with over the last week. And that's that in life, there's only two main reasons why people don't do a thing, like do something. And number one was that they don't want to do it for whatever reason. Maybe it just doesn't interest them. Maybe they think it's something that wouldn't benefit them. Maybe they think it's something unethical, immoral, or illegal. Whatever the case, it's just not something they want to do. So that's one thing. And then number two, it's that they don't think that they can do it. So might be they don't think they have the talent to do it. Might be that they just don't have the confidence in their talent. Might be that they don't have the money to do it. Maybe it's something that's pricey, like trips, things like that. But I think that those are the only two reasons that someone wouldn't do something because theoretically, if there's something that we want to do and we think that we can do it, we would do it, right? So when we look at soul winning, talking to people, handing out gospel tracts, why aren't we doing it more? And we need to look at those two things. Like two questions that you should ask yourself about soul winning. Do you want to be a soul winner? Do you want to do it? If you're saved, and hopefully most of us here are saved, if not, I hope you will be soon, then you should want to do it. It's clear, it's, it's a biblical command. It's like the number one thing we should want to do. Like the gospel was the best thing that anybody ever brought to your life. And it changed your future forever. So you should want to share that with the people that don't have that right now. So that's number one. And the second thing is, do you think that you can do it? So I'm going to focus more on the second thing tonight. Because I think that your first one, and it's, it's a heart problem, it's between you and God. And that goes for me too. I'm the same as you guys. But I believe that even Christians who want to go share the gospel sometimes, we self-defeat. We beat ourselves from doing it. So let me ask you guys if these two scenarios, either of them or both, sound familiar to you. So you see somebody, you want to talk to them, you want to share the gospel with them, you want to witness to them. But then you start hearing voices in your head, right? It's not the right place. It's not the right time. I'm not the right person to do it. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not smart enough. Whatever. So you talk yourself out of doing it, and you don't ever even get started. You just go shopping, or you go home, or do whatever, and you don't talk to the person. Right? Or number two scenario, you actually do get the courage to talk to somebody, and good for you, praise the Lord for it, but it doesn't go how you thought it would. You know, the person says no to you. They ask you a question, you don't have an answer to the question. They act mad, they act busy, whatever. It just doesn't go like you thought. And right away in your mind, you're defeated because it just didn't go right like you thought it would. So instead of going on to someone else, you're just like, I'm done, can't do it. So I think we've all been through one or both of those. But this is the thing. If you're all still in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, just take a look at it again. See, the verse doesn't say, go ye into all the world, and if you feel like it that day, if your hair's looking just right, if there's no lint on your clothes, if there's no, you know, marks on the sidewalk or paint on the walls at a place, if you have got exactly like eight hours of sleep last night, then go preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't say that, right? And it also doesn't say, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to one person, And if it doesn't go exactly the way you thought it should go, then quit. It doesn't say it. 
right? It just says, go preach the gospel to every creature. So what do we do from here? Like, how do we make peace with this? So I would ask everybody to turn once again, and this is to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. It's a pretty famous verse. Uh, I think we've heard a lot in church. And it's Paul uh, talking about soul winning, really. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So this is Paul. And he's telling us that if we plant seeds, then we're doing what God asked us to do. And God can give the increase, or somebody else can come along and water the seed that we planted. So what we need to realize is that the results of our soul winning, they're not always up to us. We have to just kind of determine in advance just to do what God asks us to do in Mark 16, 15. Preach the gospel. Leave the results with God. Sometimes it's enough just to share the gospel. And it's not always us that leads the person to Christ. It just, it's not going to always be us. We have to know that that could happen. Now, I want to mention that on that note, I watched some of that preacher's delight that the pastors went to. I was sick, so I couldn't go. It's how it went. And one of the speakers, uh, Wilkerson, Dr. Wilkerson, so he told a story about how he got onto uh, an airplane when he was coming. I might mess this story up, but this is the idea. And he sat next to a girl on the plane, right? And he gave her a gospel tract. And she didn't seem to care, so he let it be. He didn't think she wanted to be talked to. But then she said to him, you're the third person this weekend who gave me one of these tracks. What is it? What's going on here? And the girl ended up getting saved. Like, he led her to the Lord, right? So the thing that I would take from that is that if the first people, the two people, didn't try, he might have just been another one where he gave her a tract and she didn't. Because the first people tried, the first two people, even though they heard a no, it was okay. Because... It continued on. So I want you to know that everything that you do for God, every time you try to witness, every time you head out a gospel tract, it matters whether you get a no or not. It's way better to get a no than to do nothing. Because no's are seeds that are planted, always, and God can water them. Now I want to tell you a little story. Um, so I used to know a guy who was in MLM. He did like, you know, insurance, and he tried to recruit people. There's nothing wrong with what he was doing. It was a business, and he was trying to, you know, do what he could. But he wasn't doing anything. He was like not busy. He was just sad all the time. He was like dejected and whatever, right? And then all of a sudden, 180, everything changed for him. And everybody said, what happened to you? What happened? And he says, well, my daily goals changed. And he said, my goal now is that I want to hear 30 no's every day. So he figured out what we need to figure out as soul winners. That it's not always about exactly what you say or how much you prepare. But it's just about being busy, in this case, for God. And you have to understand, again, you're going to hear no's. And it's okay to hear no's. Because every no that you get as a soul winner, whenever you hand out a tract... Whenever you talk to somebody new, you're bringing glory to God. You're planting a seed that God can water. If you hear a no, it's okay. The results aren't always up to you. They're not always, it's not always your responsibility. Well, I shouldn't say it's not our responsibility. 
But it's not always you, like I said, that's going to lead someone to the Lord, but you will be planting a seed. And if somebody says no to you when you witness to them, it's not about you. It's just about them. If you don't see a result, you still did something. And you made a difference that God can work with. So, you have to accept in advance that no's will come. You have to accept that, or you'll never get started as a soul winner. Because if you don't accept that no's will come, then when they come, they will crush you. They will have you defeated and dejected. Don't let that happen. They shouldn't crush you. They're not really no's, they're just planted seeds. So the last thing that I'm going to say, and then I'm done, is that MLM guy, I, I don't know what happened to him, his business. I lost touch with him. I don't know if he's doing well or not. Uh, I knew him kind of a mutual acquaintance. We lost touch. But the thing is, whether he is or he isn't, you know, it's not even relevant to us. His strategy was good, but he was doing everything in his own strength, remember. We have God behind us when we're soul winning. So everything that we do. I want everybody to turn one more time in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Again, we read this a lot, so it's going to be familiar to everybody. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. The Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So I'm going to close by saying that God, he just wants your best effort. He just wants you to obey the commands that he's laid out for you, and he can work with that. So don't worry about no's. Just push through no's. Look at them as seeds planted, and look at them as opportunities. God doesn't need you to necessarily get the results. He just wants you to obey him and trust him. All right, so we will be turning to Nehemiah 2.20. Nehemiah 2.20. And before I start, I'm just going to start in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to uh, just listen to all these preachers, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd uh, be with each and every one of us, Lord, uh, me and Tadala, Lord, that you'd be with us. Help us, uh, uh, help us to preach the word that you've given to us, Lord, uh, the, the message that you've given to us, Lord, that you'd be speaking through us, Lord, and that you would uh, just glorify your name, Lord, through us, Lord. I pray for all of these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so as a kid, I used to love playing with Lego. I mean, who has it? Who, who, who here has played with Lego before? Can I get a raise of hands? So I guess almost everyone, right? Um, well, for me, personally, Lego was uh, one of my only forms of entertainment back then. This, uh, before, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have many friends, so Lego was the way I was, or one of the only ways I was able to entertain my mind. And 
Um, because of that, I was able to create so many things, spaceships, cars, guns, lots of guns, actually, I don't know why I like guns. Um, but I loved building, and that was one of the things that I loved doing at home, or even at school sometimes, at show and tell, I would bring it. Um, this was very early on in my elementary life. Um, but the point is, I loved building. Now, looking back, back at our text, we can see that, uh, we can, store, we can see in the story of Nehemiah, uh, he was the king's cupbearer. Before this text, uh, he was described as the king's cupbearer. Now, uh, at this time, I'm pretty sure Israel had been taken into captivity at this point, but Nehemiah was working, was an Israelite working as the king's cupbearer. So I guess a very prestigious position, to say the least. But uh, at this point in time, he was called by God to rebuild uh, Jerusalem's walls. Now, he, he was called of God to do this, and he was so bold as to ask the king. Now, not any person can ask the king this. This was a monumental task and something that not anyone can ask it, uh, can ask the king, especially the king. Uh, if anyone else were to ask this, the person might get beheaded or death sentence or anything else, any, any kind of punishment or uh, denial of this command. But through God's power, he was able to get permission to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Now we come to the text uh, that I instructed you to, uh, <coughs> um, to turn to. Uh, then answered I then and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. <clears throat> Therefore, we, will, we his servants will arise and build, and ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. <clears throat> uh, now, uh, we can see here that he was, uh, Nehemiah was already set on building a wall. But, of course, he came into some retaliation. Um, Senballat, which uh, was, is a very angry guy I've read, um, he and his group of men uh, approach Nehemiah and uh, say in verses 18 and 19, then I, told them in, uh, then I told them of the hand of my God, which, is, was, which was good upon me, as the king's words that he uh, spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands with this good work. So this is Nehemiah uh, talking. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed, at us, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? <clears throat> so these guys, they were clearly unhappy at this news. <clears throat> they were opposed to the building of the wall. But nevertheless, uh, Nehemiah was steadfast in his, uh, in his stance to build the wall. Now, if we skip over to chapter 4 of Nehemiah, we can see Sanballat mocking them once again. <coughs> Sorry. Um, so Nehemiah verses four, or chapter four, verses one to three. But
But it came to pass, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria, uh, Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. Now, basically what he was saying is, or we can, we can see that Sanballat and his group were mocking them once again. Uh, they were back at it again, mocking the Jews and saying, even if a fox were to go up onto your wall, it would all collapse because of how terrible it is. Now, I can imagine uh, Nehemiah and his group of Israel, Israelites were pretty annoyed and discouraged at this time. But we can see in verse 4 that through all this turmoil and through all this, uh, I guess you could say, I don't know how to word it, I forgot the word, but basically through all this uh, suppression, Nehemiah prayed, Hear, O, God, o, o our God, for we are despised, and turn the reproach upon their own head. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. So we can see that Nehemiah prayed. But this one prayer did something amazing. We can see in verse 6. Uh, so we build the wall. And all the, all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Now, I don't know about you, but one prayer... And every single person that was dedicated to building the wall suddenly had a mind to work. I don't know about you, but that sounds amazing. Imagine if we were building a tower or building, I, I guess you could say, the next church building, right? And all of us were not very skilled builders, but we, I think all of us, if we all put our minds together, we can build a church. We can move mountains if... We put our minds together and through God's power. And this is, what, uh, this is what happened. Morale was lifted through God's power. Now, Sanballat was, wasn't too happy when he heard that Nehemiah and his group were starting to rebuild again. We can see in verse 7 and 8, And it came to pass that, that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the, that the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So, as you can see, Sanballat does not seem like a very happy guy. It seems like every time we read his name, he's always wroth or he's angry. Uh, wroth basically just means to be it's a more harsher version of angry. So he wasn't a very happy guy, to say the least. <laughs> um, anyways, so we can see that they were so provoked to the point that they conspired to, to fight against the people of Israel. They plotted to attack them, or they plotted to attack them while they were building. Now, at this point, 
I think it's safe to say that it wasn't the best situation, and Nehemiah recognized that. In verse 14, Nehemiah offers a word of encouragement. He does this twice, actually, all the way in verse 20, and I'll read those now. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And verse 20. <coughs> in, this, in what place, therefore, ye hear of the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. Now, when he had done this, uh, it says, uh, or in between those verses, it says that the people were very wrought at that time. Now, of course, I did, as a high schooler, uh, I didn't know what that word meant, wrought. So I searched it up, of course, and um, basically it means to be very tired, specifically <clears throat> to be very tired from hammering. Now, uh, it means that, uh, yeah, it means that they were very tired from from building, and also, it also says in that chapter that they were building with one hand and defending themselves with the other. They had a weapon in the other to defend themselves. Now, I can tell that's very uh, tiring. So, the words of encouragement in verses 14 and 20 really helped them, and in the end of the chapter, they were able, or at the end of the story, they were able to uh, to rebuild the wall successfully. Now, us here today, we might not be building Jerusalem's walls, but I think we can all learn from Nehemiah. I have two main takeaways from this story. Firstly, uh, because of Nehemiah's prayer, the people had a mind to work. Now, uh, we can, I, I briefly touched on this, but we can really see the power of prayer here. Uh, we might be praying, or we might think that we only have to pray for things that are big and humongous, like the church building or uh, getting out of debt or something like that. But I think we can all pray a bit more, even for the little things. Like, oh, uh, Heavenly Father, where is my pen? Uh, can you help me in my test today? Can you help me to be a witness at work today? Smaller maybe not so large things, I think we can start praying for. And I think that God will bless us through that. Now, secondly, I want to point out how Nehemiah encouraged the people in verses 14 and 20. I think as a church, we, might, we, we must do the same thing to one another. We must encourage each other, even though it might not seem like it, but many of us are tired where some of us are sad some of us are depressed some of us are go some of us are happy and some of us are going through the valley but i think regardless of all that i think that we should follow nehemiah's example to encourage one another and to build each other in the faith it would be sad as a team if we were running a race all together that if we were to see someone fall by the wayside that we would just leave him there and keep running. It'd be very sad to hear that. But let us 
pick them up, pick each other up, and to help each other uh, run the race that uh, God has set before before us. So, at the uh, I encourage you guys to pray more and to encourage one another. Thank you. First Kings chapter twenty-two. First Kings chapter twenty-two. And while you're turning there, we will just open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I just want to pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and you would be with each of us and just help the message to meet us wherever we are. And I pray that you would help us to take away something from it. Pray that you'd be honored and glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Kings chapter 22, and we will start in verse 10. First Kings 22 verse 10 says, And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, made him horns of iron. He said, Thus saith the Lord, With these shalt thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. So basically, what we have here is the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, they've assembled the prophets. They've called the prophets together, and they've said, give us the word of the Lord. And right now, all of the prophets, they are saying, go. They are saying, everything is good. God is going to be with you. I want you to go, and I want you to prosper. That's what, that's what the prophets are telling Ahab and Jehoshaphat. The prophets are saying, everything is good. God is on your side. I want you to go. And at this moment, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they're sitting there, and Ahab is like, yeah, this sounds good. Everything is going well. You know, I like this message. This is a good message. But, you know, let's zoom out, and let's get a little bit of context here. So when we go back to verse 6 in uh, chapter 22, it says, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. The reason he's gathering them together is because in uh, verse 5, Jehoshaphat asked that they inquire at the Lord to see what God was going to say, to see whether God was going to prosper them or to see whether God wanted them to stop and not go forward. So they call the prophets together. And then we're in verse 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of of the king. So 400 prophets are called, and all 400 prophets say, go up. Everything is going to be good. God is going to be with you. All 400 prophets say, go. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be good. God is going to be with you. But let's keep reading. And in verse 7, we see something strange. He says, Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet here? Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that 
we might inquire of him? So what's going on here? All of the prophets, are they not prophets of the Lord? Oh, what, what, what is Why is Jehoshaphat asking for a different prophet? You see, if we know anything about Ahab here, this is what's very important. Ahab didn't worship the Lord. Ahab was not worshiping the God of Israel. You see, when Ahab called prophets, all of Ahab's prophets, they were prophets of Baal. So when Ahab was calling prophets, all the prophets that Ahab was calling, all 400 of them, they were all prophets of Baal. And all the prophets of Baal, they said, Ahab, everything is okay. Ahab, Baal says go. Baal says go and prosper. And that's what was happening. But Jehoshaphat says, I don't really know about Baal. Can we get a second opinion here? And let's keep reading. Let's see what happens. And we go to verse 8. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, he said, there's one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. He said, I don't like him. Why didn't he like him? For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. I just want you to let that sink in for a second. Do you see what Ahab was saying here? Ahab was saying, I don't like Micaiah because sometimes he tells me the truth. Because sometimes he tells me what I don't want to hear. Ahab said, I like all the prophets of Baal because they tell me, yeah, everything is good. Go, Ahab, go. Everything's going to be okay. But Micaiah, he says, well, let's see what he says. So in verse 9, it says, then the king of Israel called an officer and said, hasten, Hither Micaiah, the son of Imlah. So then we go back to verse 10. So while Micaiah is coming, all the prophets, they come, like we just read in verse 10 to 13. All the prophets, they come and they say, Ahab, everything is going to be great. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be fantastic. Baal is with you. Go, go prosper. And then in verse 13, it says, The messenger was gone to call Micaiah, spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of all, the words of the prophets declare good, Unto the king with one mouth, let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. So basically he's saying, look, Micaiah, everybody else has told Ahab it's going to be okay. And I want you to tell Ahab it's going to be okay as well. But Let's see. In verse 14, Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak? So, verse 15. So he came to the king, that is to Ahab, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And I just want you to take a moment, as we read this next verse, just think about the irony of this next verse. Just think about, just think about like, well, let's just read it. And the king, that's Ahab, Ahab is saying to him, how many times shall I adjure thee, adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true 
in the name of the Lord. Is this not a shocking verse to you? To me, this, this verse is incredible because Ahab is saying, look, Micaiah, I know that you're not telling me what God told you to tell me. Right here, Ahab is saying, Micaiah, I know that's not what God told you to tell me. So, Micaiah, okay, let's see what he says. Verse 17, and... He said, I saw all Israel scattered unto the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, he says, you see, you see, you see this Micaiah? Everybody else, they told me what was okay. But you see this, Micaiah? He, it says, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? So Ahab, he turns to Jehoshaphat and he says, I tried to tell you, Micaiah, all he would say against me is evil. See, Micaiah, he's not going to say anything good to me. What? Did you not see what happened in the verse? So, all of the prophets of Baal, they said one thing. And the prophet of God, Micaiah, he said another thing. But that's not the incredible part. The incredible part was Ahab, he knew what the prophet of God was telling him. He said, I, Micaiah, I want you to tell me what God told you to tell me. And Micaiah tells Ahab the message that God has for him. And now Ahab is here, and Ahab, he has a choice. He can listen to the message that he wants to hear. He can listen to the good message, to the words that he wants to hear. All of the prophets, they told Ahab, Ahab, everything is going to be okay. Ahab, just, just go. It'll be all right. God will be with you. Or he can listen to the message over here. This message is saying, Ahab, you better slow down. This is not where God wants you to be. This is not the path that God wants you to be walking. This is not the path where you should be. But what does Ahab decide to do? Let's find out. If we go to the verse, we'll just skip to the end of the chapter. It says uh, in uh, verse 28 or verse 29, And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab's choice was, after hearing everything, after considering everything, after you know weighing the options, he could choose between what God was telling him to do, or he could choose between what he wanted to hear. And what did Ahab choose? Well, we read in the verse, Ahab chose what he wanted to hear. The message that Ahab wanted to hear, he ignored everything else. You see, Micaiah, he warned Ahab. He came to Ahab and he said, Ahab, 
if you keep walking down this path, God, he doesn't like that. You see, God is trying to stop you from walking this path. If you keep walking down this path, there is only destruction that awaits you. Ahab, there is nothing good down this path. But Ahab, he didn't like that message. Ahab said, ah, you see, he's always against me. Everything he says against me is negative. Why does he never tell me anything good? Why does he never tell me anything positive? I don't like that message. I like this message more. I want to do what I want to do. And what I want to do, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what Ahab decided to do. But what was the end result? Well, let's read it. If we go back to um, the chapter 22 and verse 17, it says, And he said, And I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. So, if we go to uh, chapter 2 and verse 34, it says, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness, wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And then down to verse 37, So the king died. So I just want to close with this. You see, Ahab, he had a choice. He was presented with two different messages. One was a message that he liked, you see, Ahab liked this message. The message said, okay, Ahab, you know, you do what you want to do. Everything is going to be okay. Ahab, it doesn't matter. Just keep going the way that you're going. Just keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to put God in your plans. And the other message said, Ahab, slow down. You know, look around you. If you keep walking down this path, you are going to end up destroyed. This is not a good path where you should be walking. So Ahab, he made his decision. He decided, you know what? I want to do what I want to do. God, he doesn't matter. And what happened to Ahab? Exactly what Micaiah said would happen. Ahab, he ended up destroyed. Israel, they ended up as sheep without a shepherd. They were a nation whose leader had died, you see. Because Ahab didn't listen to the Lord, he ended up destroyed. But, you know, we have a choice as well. You see, what are we going to do? Because sometimes it's easy, you know, because sometimes, you know, we're kind of like Ahab with the, with the choices that we have. You know, it's nice because, you know, sometimes we want to do what we want to do. And, you know, we have things that we want to do that sometimes, you know, maybe the Lord doesn't really mind or maybe it doesn't really matter. But if we leave God out of our lives or if we leave God out of the picture, we're kind of like Ahab. And look what happened to Ahab. It didn't end well for him. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.